Good morning, everyone. Hey, we're going to get after it today. So like you might take a deep breath and get ready to go. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter five, I have been waiting to get back in Matthew chapter five since Thanksgiving weekend. We had 10 messages in Matthew five before Thanksgiving weekend. And then we took a break for Christmas. We took a break in January to kind of launch our vision for the year. And now we are back in Matthew chapter five in a brand new series called chasing perfection. And it is going to be incredible. Um, for those of you who are here today, who have maybe signed up to go to summit Christian Academy. Thank you. In your bulletin, you'll see this car. We're starting a new service next Sunday at 10 AM offsite at Summit Christian Academy that I want you to be aware of. We believe between now and when we move into our building that you can see being built a little more every week, um, that we're probably going to have three services at Summit Christian Academy and three here, which means we'll have to utilize video teaching a lot. I just want you to know um, the 930 service between next Sunday and Easter will be primarily video teaching as we kind of launch and put our wind and all of our energy behind this campus. So 10 a.m. at Summit Christian Academy, live worship, live kids ministry, almost all live teaching until we can kind of divide that service in two. Um, nobody comes to watch a video. We're building a building so we don't have too long, but we're in a season of having more people than we have seats. So if you'd be willing to move, you can sign this card, drop it in the box at the end. If you'd be willing to volunteer, you can do that. For those of you watching online, you can get this card texted to you. If you text journey SCA to 47. 4747 will send you a link that you can open up. Summit Christian will be our most socially distanced um, environment by far. Rows, space pretty far apart. Gaps between seats so you won't be sitting right next to someone. For those of you at home who've been waiting on a, a little bigger room, that might be your opportunity. But next Sunday, 10 a.m., Summit Christian Academy, if you would be willing to move, we would love for you to move. Brand new series today called Chasing Perfection. So excited about this series. It's all based on one verse in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We will have had 20 messages in Matthew chapter 5 by the time we get to this verse. And all of those messages will be geared with this thought. Jesus saying, if you want to connect to God like I'm connected to God, here's all you have to do. You just have to be as perfect as me. And when we hear that, when we study this verse, we're going to realize, Jesus, it's impossible to be as perfect as you are. And Jesus would say, you're right. Without me, you have no chance. So we're saying this series is designed to teach us the demands of Jesus that, that really demand a savior. Like we, we absolutely need a savior. And my hope is by the time we get to the end of this 10 weeks, the whole premise of the series is this, to learn how much we must depend on Jesus to live like Jesus. If we think we can do it without him, we have no hope. And you'll hear him say over and over in Matthew chapter five, like if you don't get better and if you're not more spiritual and if you're not more righteous than the best of the best, like if you're not like me and you're not with me and you don't need me, it's gonna be hard to connect to God like me. So every Sunday we're gonna dig in and realize we need more of Jesus than we ever could have imagined. Everyone say Jesus. This series is all about Jesus. And it's all about how much we need him to accomplish what he is calling us to. Ten weeks through the back half of Matthew chapter 5. Next week we'll learn about spiritual obedience and how we need Jesus for that. Then we're going to learn how to deal with anger and how we need Jesus for that. We're going to spend four weeks in Matthew 5, 27 through 32 talking about Jesus and marriage. How do we get through marriage the way Jesus wants us to? We're going to spend three weeks on the back half of Matthew chapter 5 talking about Jesus and difficult people. How do we deal with difficult people in our life the way Jesus wants us to. We are going to learn for the next 10 weeks how much we need Jesus 
to live like he has called us to. And I could not be more excited today. Here's what we're aiming for. Goal number one, we want to honestly discuss the ramifications of carrying Jesus light into our world. Kind of interesting first half of our Bible study today, the downside of Jesus. So there's a downside to following Jesus. There's certainly a difficult side. And I think you'll have to ask yourself before you leave this morning, are you willing to follow Jesus even when it gets really, really difficult? And then we're going to see number two, even though it's difficult, the critical importance of being spiritual salt. In a world that makes it increasingly harder to follow Jesus, we are going to have to be increasingly more intentional if we're going to have any impact whatsoever. So we're going to learn how to be salt and we're going to learn how to be light as we dig into Matthew chapter five. I don't think we'll learn any of that unless our hearts are open to what Jesus has to say to us. So let's pray and ask God to open our hearts before we open our Bibles. Would you bow your heads with me here? And for those who might be watching online, take a deep breath. Just settle your spirit into this space and into these moments and just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven. Ask God to speak to you and tell him you're listening. Jesus, would you give us clarity today about what it means to follow you in the midst of our culture, in the midst of this season? And God, would you show us how to have great impact for you even as Christian life gets more difficult? That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name today, and everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 5, let me give you a quick just background of the 10 services that we've already had. So we did a series called The Way of Jesus, where we learned to live like Jesus as followers of Jesus. Seven of those messages that we had were character traits of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We talked about how we are blessed by being connected to God when we are like Jesus. The last two of those were consequences of being like Jesus, and we were told that we would be insulted and persecuted. The more we become like Jesus, the more the world will insult and persecute us. But Jesus, in the very last message of that series, said, you can even rejoice in that Because when people make it difficult on you for following me, even that helps you become more like Jesus and helps you press into God. It actually makes you closer to God. So so Jesus said, you're going to rejoice when you develop my character. You're going to rejoice when you have the same consequences I did because everything is going to help you connect to God in a more intimate way. And then he gets to verse 13 and said, kind of, here's your mission in life. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and they might glorify your God who is in heaven. I believe what we just read represents one of the most profound statements that Jesus ever made to a group of people who followed him. I believe what we just read represents one of the most profound challenges and compliments that God ever gives any one of us. You say, Christian, why is that? In the Gospel of John, Jesus had a friend named John who wrote a story about his life and his ministry. And John broke his book into categories of seven, seven signs, seven sermons, and seven statements of Jesus, Jesus saying, I am this. If you want to know who Jesus is, go learn the seven I am statements of the book of John. They'll tell you who Jesus wants you to, what, what Jesus wants you to know about him. I am the bread of life. 
I am the gate that the sheep walk through. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. And one of those was, I am the light of the world. In only one of those seven did Jesus say, you are what I am. Jesus did not say, you are the bread of life. Jesus did not say, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did not say, you are the resurrection and the life. Jesus did not say, you are the gate that people walk through. Jesus did not say, you were good shepherds. But Jesus did say in Matthew chapter 5, after declaring that he was the light of the world, he said, you are the light of the world, which means in this text, he's telling us we can be just like Jesus. You can be just like Jesus. If you have your Bible open, you have to underline that first part of Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. This is a profound statement to followers of Jesus because of what he said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Jesus said in this area, you're going to be like me. And if the world is going to see me, they're going to have to see me through you. I am the light of the world, but I am handing off that baton to you. Now you are the light of the world. Now there are times, to, there, there are times in church history where I think it's important to step back and have a critical and difficult conversation. And I think this is one of those times in church history because of what we are presented with in John 12, 8, 12, and in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, and now you are the light of the world. I think there are times when we need to make sure we are on the exact page as Jesus, as representatives of Jesus, and I feel like this Sunday is going to be one of those Sundays. As a matter of fact, I feel like the teaching of this Sunday will kind of rattle around in your head and your heart all week long, and you probably have to process out loud some of the things that we're learning because we're going to dip into some difficult conversations from Jesus as we look into Scripture. And Scripture will always be our guide. The Bible is always timeless. Hebrews 4.12 says Scripture is alive and it's active, which means it's alive right now and speaking to your heart in the here and now. And because the Bible is timeless, it's always timely for what we need in this generation uh, as, of being followers of Jesus. The Bible is not an old book. The Bible is an eternal book, which means it was before eternity started and after eternity one day ends, everything in Scripture will be valid, incredible, and useful for our lives. The Bible is not an easy book to follow, but it's an essential book to follow if we want to learn how to walk with Jesus and be more like him. And you say, I thought the Bible was just an old book written to people a long time ago. It was a book written to them then, but it's also written to us now. When Hebrews 4 12 says it's alive and it's active. It says it has Holy Spirit life in it. So what it said to them then and what it says to us now are the exact same thing and mutually true in the seasons that you live in. And when we look at it, we find out that Jesus had some dark conversations. A lot of times we only like to memorize the highlights of Jesus' sermons, but Jesus had some dark conversations. One of those is in John chapter 8. Jesus showed up and told a group of, of religious scholars, I am the light of the world. You need to follow me if you want to connect to God. And because they did not want to follow him his way, their response to him was, your mama's a hoe. You say, did you just say that? They did in John chapter 8. In what I believe is one of the clearest places in all of the New Testament where you can tell people were aware of the virgin birth of Christ, the religious leaders of Jesus' day said, you're telling us to follow you, but everyone knows you don't even know who your dad is. Your mama got pregnant before she was married. They're like, your, your, your mom, they started cracking up your mama jokes to, like, to Jesus. They're like, Jesus like, you need to follow me. And they're like, you're an illegitimate child. Nobody even knows who your dad is. 
And Jesus is like, okay, everybody knows who your dad is. It's the devil. Like, boom, mic drop. It's like, whoa. Like, you can see his disciples, like, high-fiving in the background. That was a good one. Um, Jesus just, he's like, everybody knows who your daddy is. Your daddy is the devil. And at the end of John chapter 8, they wanted to kill him. There's some difficult conversations in Scripture that are happening. John chapter 3 is one of those difficult conversations in Scripture. You know a little bit about it because there's some highlight verses that we memorize, but we've not been deeply engaged in the conversation. It's a conversation Jesus had with a religious leader named Nicodemus. If you haven't yet watched the mini-series of The Chosen, is my favorite episode, where Jesus and Nicodemus are talking about, man, what does it look like to be like you spiritually? And some of our highlight verses are found in John 3. John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. John 3, 16, y'all, y'all know this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You're like, that is a great verse. That is such a good, that's such good news. You're right, it is. Verse 17 is better news. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You're like, that is fantastic news spiritually. You're right, but it begins to get dark if you read the whole conversation. John 3.18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Like, ooh, that took a dark turn. It did. And it even gets a little more clear in verses 19 and 20. Here's the verdict. Here's what you need to know about Jesus and people who follow Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus. Here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Hey, here's the verdict, followers of Jesus. Here's the bottom line. People who reject Jesus are going to hate him and they're going to hate you. Here's the verdict. People who reject Jesus are going to hate him and they're going to hate you. That is the spiritual verdict. And we can either embrace that reality and figure out how to move forward in a posture of love, but grit and strength and understanding. We can either embrace that discomfort or we can begin to change the narrative and say, surely Jesus didn't mean that. And we are a decade into the American church changing that narrative, thinking, no, 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 that, that, that cannot be that cannot be. It cannot be what Jesus meant. Started around the year 2011. A very popular Christian pastor at the time who became a heretic, which means he taught something separate of scripture and then he walked away from faith altogether. A guy by the name of Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. And in this book, he presented a Jesus that was different than the Jesus in the Bible. He presented a Jesus that loved everyone and everyone loved him. And just if everyone loves each other, everything is gonna be okay. And, and, and he basically said this to Christian leaders. If you ever make anyone feel bad, if you ever make anyone feel rejected, if you would ever tell anyone they're condemned, you are not only a bad Christian, you are not at all like Jesus. Because Jesus loved everyone. That is true. And Jesus never rejected or condemned anyone. That is not true. And everyone loved Jesus. That is patently false. Like, I'm not sure if you've read the rest of the story of Jesus, but everyone did not love Jesus. And those who rejected him, he rejected and condemned, and they killed him by hanging him on a cross. Like, remember that part of the story? 
Everyone did not love Jesus. And we've got kind of this Christianity in 2021 where like we wear the wristband and if we're like Jesus and if we love like Jesus, like everyone will just get along because that's how it was for Jesus. May I ask you, what what version of the Bible like are you reading? The one that has Christmas but not Easter? Like what? What are we doing believing that Jesus loved everyone? He never rejected anyone. He never condemned everyone. And when, when you live like that, everyone loves him and, and accepts you too. Like that, that's not this Jesus, amen? It's not this Jesus. So like as we move into the year 2021, this is why I believe it's a critical conversation. If we are not having this conversation with our children... Christianity of 2050 is going to be so far off course. And if you say, Christian, 2050 is so far away. Those of us who remember 1990 realize 2050 is not that far away. 30 years one way or another, not that far away. And what has to begin to be taught now to at least our middle schoolers, if not our upper elementary school kids, is what I would call discipleship 101. People are going to hate you because you love Jesus. That is like, that should be on the first few pages of Christianity 101. People are going to hate you because you love Jesus. Say, Christian, that is way too strong. I totally disagree with you. I hope you were saying that. Let me show you how Jesus said it. Everyone will hate you because of me. But nobody got, has that verse tattooed on their arm, right? Like that, like that's not one. That's like, that's not one you put on your car, Right? Like, hey, what is that verse? That's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. Oh, that's cool. Hey, what's that verse of that? Jeremiah 29, 11, God has great plans for me. Man, that's cool. Hey, what's that verse on your back? That's John 3.16. God loves the whole world. Man, that's cool. What's that little verse on your wrist? Luke 21, 17. Everyone's gonna hate me because I love Jesus. Like, if that's your life verse, I'll give you a hundred dollar bill. Like, come see me after church. If you're like, that's my life verse. My parents prayed that over me at my dedication. Like, that's not happening. It's not happening. But Jesus said it. Jesus said, in the end times, here's how it's going to work. People who reject me are going to reject people who love me. It's just going to happen. It's a hard conversation to even process. This week on our daily reflections, I've loved the last two weeks. My family and I do these together. It takes less than 10 minutes a day. But the spiritual, just the discipleship steps we're talking about are incredible. This week on Wednesday... We ask this question regarding this verse. These were Jesus' words as he reflected on the culture of the end times. What's your gut level reaction to this truth? Mine? I don't like it. I would prefer to teach the love wins stuff, but I am responsible to teach the Bible stuff. And that's what the Bible stuff says. And folks, the reality is we got to figure out, we got to figure out how to get tougher. We gotta figure out how to get stronger. Because we save a we serve a savior who like who was crucified because of the way he lived his life and the things he taught about life. Danielle and I this week were talking about our our ladies' Bible study that start in February 9th. Our men's Bible study Tuesday was unbelievable. We had an elders meeting here Tuesday night, right as the men were like emptying from their video time with J.D. Greer, and like men just kept pouring out of this room. I was like, it's raining men, hallelujah. Like it's like, there are, like there are, where is everyone coming for? They're just everywhere. You can even walk through the hallway. They've already started men. If you don't have a discipleship group, this Tuesday night at 6.30, it'll be incredible. Um, ladies, if you don't have a discipleship group, Feb 9, Tuesday night, it starts. It'll be incredible. But uh, Danielle and Vanessa Higgins, one of our elders' wife, are leading our ladies' group through the book of First Peter. 
And Peter, of course, was killed by Nero, probably wrote it while he was in prison. So Danielle and I were talking about Nero, and she's like, man, what was his deal? The emperor of Rome in the mid-60s, what was his deal? Why did he hate Christians so much? I said, well, he hated, he hated Christians so much. One, because the emperor of Rome thought he was the God, not just a God, but the God. And if you didn't worship him, you, you basically were dishonoring him. So he hated Christians because Christians wouldn't worship him. They worship their God. They worship their savior, Yeshua. But I said, more than that, the Christians lived and believed that there was a certain way of life that God honored and a way of life that God didn't honor. And, and Nero was an evil guy. History tells us Nero was married to several different people of several different genders of several different ages. He had a husband named Pythagoras, and at that wedding, history tells us Nero was actually the bride, Pythagoras was the groom. He was also married to a 12-year-old boy named Sporus, who he made dress like a girl, and he called him his lady. And Christians looked at Nero and said, that is not the way that God has designed marriage and sexuality, that's wrong. So Nero killed him. Listen, if we were Christians 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire and we spoke truth, we would not be unfriended on social media. We would be beheaded on the streets. We got to get tougher, amen? Like biblical truth has to be our guide. The teaching of Jesus has to be our guide. And we got to realize this, that we got to get tougher. Because watch this. Here, like, here's one of my favorite truths about that story that I just told. Nero is dead. Christianity's still alive, amen? So like who won in the long run? Nero's dead, Christianity is thriving. And listen, folks, if we wanna outlive this culture spiritually, we're gonna have to live outside of this culture spiritually. We can't outlive it if we live in it and there's no discernible difference, amen? Like Christians have to look different. You say, well, that's gonna put a target on us. Yes, Jesus said that would happen but he said you would be able to make it through it. He said it pretty clearly. Everyone who's going to do evil is going gonna, is gonna to hate you. They're going to they're gonna hate the light. They're not going to come into it because they won't want to be exposed. But then the apostle Paul took it a step further because he said in the end times, they will come into the light to flaunt their sin, to, to try to destroy the light. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul told Timothy this, mark this. It's going to be bad in the last days, man. Don't forget this. It's going to get bad in the last days. And then he gave a list of what the last days will look like. I only highlighted in yellow what I thought was characteristic of most of America in 2020. Last days are going to be bad, man. Here's what it's going to look like. I'm only giving you the ones I think everyone would agree on in the following verses. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I'm not sure. The yellow ones I'm sure of ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. It wasn't one of the first terms I thought about when I thought about 2020. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, which means they like spiritual stuff, just not the authority of God. They deny its power, have nothing to do with such people. Paul said, Timothy, man, it's going to be bad in the end times. It's going to be bad in the end times, man. Here's what it'll look like. You tell me, is that what our world looks like? Yes or no? Yeah. Yes. And people are not going to be lovers of Jesus or lovers of those who live like Jesus. I heard a pastor say this week, those who were born after the year 2000 are the first generation in the history of our country where the phrases being a good Christian and being a good citizen do not mean the same thing. And our country is shouting at those 
who want to be good Christians saying you need to change and become a better citizen. Let me say it again. Those born after the year 2000 are the first generation in American history where being a good Christian and being a good citizen do not mean the same thing. And our government is going to beg you. They may force you by law that to be a good citizen, you cannot be a good Christian. Now, shouldn't be surprising because Scripture said it was coming. I think the speed of it might be a little shocking. But we've got to readjust because for a decade we've been moving in the wrong direction spiritually. The reality when we look at Scripture is this. The way of Jesus is not the way of the world. They're not the same. And sooner or later, you're going to have to embrace this reality. Let me say it this way. Followers of Jesus living to be loving to those who don't know Jesus yet. Followers of Jesus living to be friendly to those in all their engagements who don't know Jesus yet. That never ends. That's our mission, vision, and calling. We always love people like Jesus love people. But followers of Jesus living to be loved by those who hate Jesus, living to be friends with those who hate Jesus, that season is nearly over in our country. And at some point, we got to be okay being on team Jesus and realizing that will lead to rejection. That would be like someone saying, I can't marry my new boyfriend or girlfriend because then my old one will hate me. At some point, you got to make a choice. And if you're going to be married to Jesus, your, your old unspiritual family, you probably won't even have to leave them behind. They will leave you behind. You say, well, what in the world is the purpose of, if that's the truth, why even be light? Why even care? Because being light is critically important. We embrace the reality that we have to step in. What are the realities? Why be light? We have to learn how to mourn the problem of sin. One, because it helps us become more like Jesus. 2020 was a year of mourning. You, like me, watched what was happening in the world and thought, like your heart was just broken. And you know what it helped me do? It helped me understand Jesus more. Because before we had social media, Jesus did. And Jesus has been following every human being who's lived over the last 2,000 years, and he's not just seen their posts. He's seen every day of every moment of their life. And can you imagine the brokenness of Jesus looking down at the world the last 2,000 years, knowing everyone's story better than they know it themselves, and the heartbreak he has for the broken world that they live in? Like, I looked at 2020, and I thought, man, I don't know how Jesus makes it through a day seeing and knowing all this stuff. No wonder he has to stay right by the Father's side, because I struggle to move through without staying real close to Jesus. What's the second reality? Why do we need to be, if a world rejects light, why do we need to be light? Because we have to learn to become ministers to one another. We have to learn to be missionaries to people who are in bondage to sin. Two groups of people in our community who are not following Jesus. One, those who have rejected him. Two, those who have not even heard about him. And we cannot give up that second crew because the first crew makes it difficult. We got to minister to one another. We can't give up on spiritual family and community because if we do what we say we're going to do and the world does what the Bible says the world is going to do, we're going to be more alone than ever, which means we're going to have to have spiritual family to come around us and help us from time to time. I think the highlight of my week was a Facebook post by one of our middle school girls. If you've not joined a group yet, let me say men, Tuesday night, ladies, Tuesday night, you can join a group by finding journey groups. Text that to 474747. That'll get you a group. One of our eighth grade girls this week posted this on her Facebook account. Somebody sent it to me. She said, Christian, look at what our church is doing in the life of people. Her name's Maggie. Her family helped us start our church 10 years ago. She said, I'm not one to get sappy, but I just noticed that 60 of my friends and family I follow all follow journey. I don't know why, but it, hit me, it really hit me just now that all of my friends and family really come from the church, and it blows my mind. 
The past few years, I've lost a lot of friends because of how middle school affected them and how much they've changed. This has increased my anxiety and depression. And just recently, I was talking about this to my brother and my bro, Kendrian. Recently, I've been good, and I realize now that it is mainly because of how much time I've been putting myself into volunteering and hanging out at church with my real friends and family. I have no words for how happy I am that God gave me journey and everyone there. The memories, opportunities, and life lessons this place has given me will affect me forever. I may not have friends at school, but I do at my second home. Thanks to everyone who's there. Thanks for everyone who's there for me and loves me. And thanks to the Lord for Journey Church International. Cheers to the past nine to ten years and many more to come. Maggie, cheers back to you. You say, why do we need to be the light? Because kids like Maggie need a spiritual family. And Pup and Heidi, because she doesn't have her driver's license, I know a lot of that rests on you. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, you put her in the car and you bring her. You give her an opportunity to be with spiritual family. You say, why do we need to be the light if everyone hates it? Because there are a lot of people who need it spiritually. You say, why, why do we need to be the light? Why can't we all just go home spiritually? Because you can't give up on the world who hasn't heard about Jesus yet. As a matter of fact, that's the only way home spiritually. Jesus said in Matthew 24, this is the gospel of the kingdom. It'll pre- be preached into the entire world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You say, I want Jesus to come. Start telling more people about Jesus. You will speed that up. Jesus is the light of the world, and as his followers, we are the light of the world, just like Jesus And that has some difficulty to it, just like Jesus' life had some difficulty to it. But it has huge impact. You guys say, okay, I'm just like Jesus, and I'm I'm willing to fight the hard fight, man. What do I need to do? Number two, let's get salty. Let's get salty. He said, I want to have impact. I understand being a light might have some drawback, but I want to have impact. What do I need to do? Let's get salty. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Jesus told his followers, you've got to be salty if you're going to be impactful. Now, understanding the uses of salt 2,000 years ago in the ancient world will help you understand some of the metaphors that Jesus was using, and it will help you understand whether or not you are being salt. How was salt used in the ancient world? Number one, the, the primary use of salt in the ancient world was, was as a preservative. No electricity, which meant no refrigerators, which meant no ice, The only way to preserve fish and meats, which were important to the diet of Middle Eastern people, was to pull them out of the sea, to gut them and skin them, and then to pack them in salt. It made a piece of fish. It would have gone bad in six hours, lasts for more than six days. Salt was the thing that preserved the quality of the meat and preserved it so that it could actually have some benefit from somebody else. Jesus said, Christians are the ones who preserve what I've done in the world. They're the ones who wrap around my mission and vision and they make sure it doesn't get rotten and not useful anymore. Christians are the ones who preserve the most important things in life. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 13 said the most important things in your faith life are faith, hope, and love. If followers of Jesus don't bring faith and hope and love into our world, they ain't coming. It's up to us to preserve those things. And from time to time, it gets hard, too. I spent most of my week this week at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, where I graduated from my undergrad and then did all my seminary there. I was with a group of pastors that they've assembled to try to figure out how to leverage the 12,000 kids in the Liberty University School of Divinity to create the largest church planning organization in the world to help every one of these kids become pastors of new churches or to go into old churches that are dying and help them have revitalization. And as we walked around the Liberty campus, the last thing I did before I left, because I haven't been there in 10 years, was I went and visited the grave of 
one of my mentors, I mean, my friend, the man who introduced Danielle and I and then flew to Kansas City and married us, Dr. Jerry Falwell, who every time I had a ministry phone call would pick up his phone call and I, you know, we all called him Doc, Doc Falwell, Doc, what do I do here? What do I do here? How do I answer this question? He was just a dear friend of mine until he died in 2007. And when I went to just stop by his tomb on top of the mountain there, Liberty Mountain, before I left, I saw this plaque hanging above his tomb that was one of his famous quotes, and I pulled out my phone and took a picture of it because I thought, I think I missed it in 2020. He would say this every year, you do not determine a man's greatness by his talent or his wealth as the world does, but rather by what it takes to discourage him. As I thought about the last year of life and I stood kind of at his headstone looking at that plaque, I began not to talk to him, but just to kind of talk into the air. And I just said, Doc, 2020 got me. 2020 discouraged me. And there were moments where my faith, I was losing it, and my hope was losing it, and my love was not where it needed to be. Doc, I, I hope they weren't measuring last year because I got pretty discouraged. And it was just like the Holy Spirit kicked me in, pan, in the pants as a Christian. If followers of Jesus do not have faith, hope, and love, nobody will. It's your role. You're salt. You got to keep those fresh. You got to carry those with you. You got to nourish other people with them. Being salty means that we preserve the things that Jesus has given us as a ministry. Being salty means, number two, that we add flavor. When we think of salt in the year 2021, that's probably most how we would think about it. They also use salt on their food. Listen, salt cannot make a bad meal good, but it can make a bad meal better. And folks, I don't know about you. I I don't know that Christians can make a bad and broken world good, but we can make it better. I I often will have lunch in our community during the work week with someone, and I'll wear a, a journey polo or a journey pullover, and I'll have people from time to time, you know, walk up and ask me, hey, you know, hey, are you a part of that church? And I always tell them, yeah, I'm on the ministry team there. I never tell them I'm the lead pastor in case they're angry. If they are, I'll point them to Ryan. I'll be like, you should talk to, you should talk to him. Like, I've got a bone to pick with your church. I've got a guy you can call. Um, uh, he, can, he can help you. Um, so I'm just like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I'm part, I'm part of that church. And I had a guy several months ago who walked up who was not a Christian, and he let me know he was not a Christian, but he works within the social services world of Lee Summit. And he said, hey, are you a part of that church? And I said, yeah, I'm a part of that church. And he said, you know, I don't go to church. I'm not, you know, I'm not a Christian. Um, and he said, I don't believe everything your church teaches, but I sure am glad for everything your church is doing. And I just want to say thank you. I don't believe everything your church teaches about, but I'm really glad for everything your church is doing to take bad situations and just make them a little bit better because you care. Get salty. Add flavor to a bad situation. Make it a little bit better. And then probably the thing none of us would think about is add value. The Greek word for salt is the word we get the English word salary from. You may have heard the phrase, he or she's not worth their salt. It's because people often were paid in salt because it was so valuable because it would help take meats and fish and vegetables, and it would make them, it would, it would preserve them longer. So salt was something that the Roman military specifically, they were paid in salt. So when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he is saying, you are the thing that adds value. 
So when you step into your family, you should add spiritual value every time you're around your family. When you go to work, you should add spiritual value every time you're at work. And when you go watch your kids play sports, you should add spiritual value every time you watch your kids play sports. And when you step outside onto the cul-de-sac, you should add spiritual value. And when you live in your community, you should add spiritual value. Your, Your community should be better. Your family should be better. Your friendship should be better. Anywhere you are should be better. It should it should have some spiritual value to it because you are there. And then Jesus would double down and say this, if you can't at least do these three things, you're not really good for anything spiritually. He said, whoa, whoa, that's harsh spiritually. Not my words. Jesus said, if the salt doesn't do that, it's not good for anything. Like if the salt isn't having impact, it's not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He would say this about light. If, if light can't be seen, it's not good for anything. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither would people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. He would say your faith walking connection to Jesus cannot be hidden. Certainly should not be hidden on purpose. You have to live your faith. You have to take the hits. You have to see the people who need Jesus. And you have to see past people who have already rejected Jesus. Jesus, and you have to ask yourself this critical question. It really all boils down to this as our church continues to do ministry kind of in a new generation. Do we care enough about those who don't know Jesus to press on through those who hate Jesus and who might hate us for loving Jesus? Can we take the rude comments? Can we take the persecution? Can we take the insults? Can we take the unfriending? Can we take the gossip behind our back? Do we care enough about those who do not know Jesus yet to press on through those who have already decided they hate him and they hate us for trying to live for him and saying the things he lived for? Do we care enough about those who don't know to move through those who have rejected? Jesus would say, if you don't, I'm not sure what good your faith will be for the world. The apostle Peter writing his last book before he'd be martyred by Nero would say in 2 Peter Chapter one, you need to keep growing spiritually. You need to add to your faith goodness and add to goodness knowledge and add to knowledge self-control and add to self-control perseverance and add to perseverance godliness and add to godliness like caring for other people. And as you care for other people, you'll really learn to love like Jesus. Like you gotta keep growing in your faith and in your ministry to people. He said, for if you do these things, if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ journey followers of Jesus in 2021. We don't want to be ineffective and unproductive because we're hiding, because we don't want anyone to not like us, because we don't want to tell the truth about Jesus or be the truth that Jesus was. We don't want to be that. We got to stand up. We got to rise above that. It's the only way we can stay on mission. So we need to ask Jesus to help us be courageous enough to be light And we got to ask Jesus to help us to be salty enough to have impact. And we got to be blessed enough to call Jesus our leader and his followers, our family, and to know that that is our community because we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And if we aren't, they won't know. And if we aren't, they can't see. And Jesus says, if you're mine, you got to tell the world. Amen. Journey, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It won't always be easy, but it will always be impactful. And if you will lean into what Jesus is calling you to do, it won't be easy, but it is essential. The Bible is a timeless book, so it's timely for 2021. It's not an old book. It's an eternal book. God knew we'd need it in 2021. Be salt, be light, be who Jesus called you to do. Do what Jesus called you to do. 
And I promise you, his kingdom will come and his will will be done more in our community as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. That's our goal. Would you pray with me as we consider these things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room. If you're here today and you've never met Jesus, hopefully what you've heard today is he came into the world not to condemn you, but to save you and forgive you and to help you and give you eternal life through his life and through his death. And if you will place your faith and belief in him and accept him, he will save you. You say, that's what I need. How do I do that? You just tell Jesus you need him. You tell Jesus you're willing to believe and accept that he died for your sin, that he rose from the grave to defeat death, and that you're willing to accept his teaching and leadership in your life. If that's you and you've never done that, but God brought you here today to connect you to him through Jesus, just pray a prayer like this from your heart to heaven. You can just repeat these words after me in your soul. Heaven is listening today. Just say something like this. Jesus, I need you in my life. Just repeat it after me in your heart. Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Heal me. And lead me. Today, I surrender my life to your leadership. And I ask for your salvation. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, I'm going to tell you how you can connect to us and let us give you some resources, maybe answer your question, help you as you begin to follow Jesus. But before we finish praying, Christians, what's God saying to you today? We need a group of Christians that ask God to give them the courage to follow him when others reject them. We need Christians who are willing to be salty enough to impact our world for Jesus. So God, I pray for the followers of Jesus in this room today. I'm not sure why you handed the baton of being the light of the world to us, but I know it's one of the greatest statements you ever made about your followers and one of the greatest challenges that you ever gave us, that you would be the light of the world while you were here, but then we would after you were gone. So God, use our life to draw people to Jesus. God, give us the toughness and the courage and the understanding and the clarity to realize there will be people who reject us because we love you, but Lord, they crucified you. So that's just, that's just how it works in a world that does evil and doesn't want to step into the light. And God, help us learn to be salty. Help us to preserve every place we are, faith and hope and love. God, help us to add value to every environment we're in. May it be just a little spiritually richer because we're in the room. And Lord, help our lives to add flavor. Help us take bad meals and bad situations that are being offered to people in our community. And even though we can't make them great, we can make them better because we bring Jesus. God, help us to be more like Jesus. You told us to be salt and light. We are willing to be that if you will help us. So God, we pray for your help today and ask for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.